0: This week on Hangar Talk, Santa Monica's back to its
1: old tricks. And the Triple Tree Fly In turns 10, and we talked about the Battle Creek AOPA Bash. We put Swift Fuels to the test. And now's the time to get your ADSB rebate.
0: All right, Dave, you ready to do Hangar Talk? Let's do it, Ian. And welcome to Hangar Talk. I'm Ian Twombly. And I'm David Tulis. And David, um, bad news out of California, Santa Monica, the airport, uh, back to its its old tricks. We talked about this only two weeks ago, actually. It's almost like we could talk about it every week, just like a late night talk show host. Uh, We've got yeah. new material now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, constant comedy out there. And um, this time, you know, last time we talked a little bit about how the fact that uh, the airport voted to close again and FAA came out strong against it. Definitely thankfully. did. Um, but this time, the airport has issued eviction notices to its a couple of its tenants.
1: It's, its tenants, the Atlantic Aviation and American Flyers FBOs. And this is a pretty major deal, Ian, because that airport supports about 1,500 jobs and it draws in about $250 million dollars each year to the local economy. So that's a significant hit, I would say, out the west.
0: Yeah. And I think this this will be a, an interesting battle because, of course, the, this has a lot of legal implications for the operators' contract issues that go beyond just the airport. And um, specifically, Atlantic Aviation, the FBO, they're fighting back. They filed that Part 16 complaint. Tooth and nail. Yeah. And, uh, and what that means is that um, the Part 16 says that the airport has certain obligations. And if the if they're not meeting those obligations, an interested party can file this formal complaint with the FAA that then has to investigate.
1: And the city of Santa Monica itself, as we spoke about last week in the, in the uh, hangar talk before that even, they really do need to abide by this, um, by this agreement that they have to keep the airport open until uh, what's it 2023 at least.
0: Yeah, I think so. So, uh, yeah, it's, you take the money, stay open.
1: I agree with you, and we've talked about that before, and we'll probably talk about it next Hangar Talk, but yeah. you take the money, stay open, live up to your agreements.
0: as simple as that. Yeah, um, and like we talked about last time, I mean, I know we focus on Santa Monica a fair amount, but um, it's a a good example case of um, of the threats that an airport could be under and, and actually what people can do when they kind of band together to try and save it.
1: And that is true. And of course, we do have our own airport support network. So if folks out there listening to us, if you have trouble with that or do you want to contact AOPA, go through the airport support network and let us know what's going on. Uh, particular to Santa Monica, it's really good to note that the Los Angeles Daily News had an editorial on September 5th that basically lamented the "Quote: endless series of moves to close or restrict operations at the airport."
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, even uh, even local editorial writers getting in on it, um, which I think is fantastic. Actually, if you think about it, it's important. It yeah. really is. They,
1: they see they see how important it is to transportation, to the local economy, and really to keep planes in the air and keep pe- people flying. And just think about all the tax money that comes in from mm-hmm. gasoline and fuel taxes, as well as the property taxes, as well as just you know, even if you're going out there and, and buying a logbook or two.
0: Yeah. And they came at it a little bit from a, some pragmatism, which I think is nice in that they said, look, people are just going to move elsewhere. And so you're just pushing, you know, whatever problem you think you have, you're just pushing it onto other airports. Moving
1: it somewhere else and, uh, and losing the money as a result, which is a bad deal for everybody. Agreed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, better news. Uh, we bring people to the airport. Uh, AOPA fly-in was last weekend now. At Battle Creek, Michigan. That's third right. Out of four. We
1: called it the Battle Creek Bash. And uh, we've got one more coming up, too, September 30th and October 1st in Prescott, Arizona.
2: Yeah.
1: Not Prescott, Prescott.
0: Prescott, yeah. And, yeah, that's
1: uh, right. But that's coming up soon. Uh, of course, Embry-Riddle has a, a big outpost there in Arizona. But before we head that way, let's talk a little bit more about the Battle Creek flying. It started out a little bit rainy. Yeah. Uh, the weather cleared up, and folks there had a good time. And we had some good attendance there yeah. yet again.
0: Yeah, I think in the end, uh, about 2,000 people. And I'm told by folks who were there, uh, you know, Tom Haynes was there in the morning. He said he drove in about 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, into the car parking lot and raining cats and dogs, I guess. Uh, And he thought, oh boy, you know, here it goes. It's going to be a long day. Um, But by the afternoon it cleared, and 2,000 folks braved the weather and came in and had a good event.
1: They did. And uh, let's not forget that on a Friday night, that uh, Barnstormer's Party, which really is starting to be a thing of its own, it's it's a beautiful organization and a really cool setup, usually with a couple of nice backdrops with airplanes that are classic, usually a decent band, great food, camaraderie. Four hundred and fifty people went to that Friday night wow. barnstormers party. That's awesome. That's significant. Yeah. A couple of neat airplanes there. That um, that Tom Horn wrote about. Yankee Warrior was there. That's a B twenty five, and we had a um, a sixty four Comanche four hundred. That's a pretty big engine for that yeah, plane. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's a little rocket.
1: Yeah, fully restored on that. And uh, uh, Textron brought in their Baron, uh, Cessna one eighty two, and a caravan. A uh, Eclipse Se demonstrator was there on mm-hmm. loan.
0: Yeah, the whole range, really. Mooney
1: brought in its Ovation. Yep. And have you ever seen one of those L29 Delphin jets? Yeah, those are cool. Those are super cool. Yeah, they are. I think they're somewhat affordable, too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's one of those deals where it's like, I think you can buy it for, I don't know, I think it's less than like 50 grand, isn't it? Agreed. But, you know, it would take like a year's salary for an hour of gas. Exactly. So... <laughs> a neat
1: airplane to fly. I would love to do that one time. Yeah, I tell yeah. you, a popular program at these uh, fly-ins are the Rusty Pilot Seminars, and we, we really need to hit on that a little bit because that is really um, a very successful uh, adventure that we've promoted.
0: Yeah, yeah, Rusty is so cool. It's uh, it's part of our You Can Fly program, and. It's all aimed at getting people back into aviation. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, there's this misconception that a lot of people think that you need to take another check ride to get back into flying if you've been out of it for a while, uh, which isn't true. Uh, you know that, actually. I, do.
1: I did. I uh, um, actually took the Rusty Pilot Seminar in St. Simons Island, Georgia, myself. Yeah. That was during uh, one of the fly-ins at uh, the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, a little sidebar with that, AOPA's... Fly-ins uh, in the regional event fly-ins. So we're coming up to the end of our second year with that. Uh, 14, 15, 16, no, third, third, year, third yeah, year. Time flies. And so we're looking to have maybe 40,000 people by the end of Total. this this last fly-in coming up. Wow. Which is kind of neat, taking it to the people.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And so you experienced you start, that. You were at the fly-in. I you was there Rusty. And, I,
1: and I did the Rusty Pilot Seminar. And I was a little worried about it at first, but, you know, it was so simple and, uh, uh, you know, Really great ground lesson. So I figured I was saving money right there. Yeah. Put that money back in my pocket, use it for flying, mm-hmm. and got a nice logbook sticker to put in my logbook. And so that took care of the ground based portion of my review. Yeah. And I thought that was a win win situation for me. Yeah. And I think that we've had a ton of folks that actually have been very successful, like myself are back in the air from that program. Do you remember the numbers on that?
0: Uh, So I can't remember the total number of folks who have been to a Rusty program, but I know each one gets, you know, they do, I think, around 150 of these a year around the country with partner schools, and we do some of them.
1: And when they're at the fly-ins, I should segue that. Free
0: breakfast. Yeah, that's right. Pancake yeah. breakfast. That's yeah. a big draw. Yeah, you get breakfast and the seminar. You do.
1: Um, and they're fun, too. It's, it's a, it's a real-life scenario, and it's just it's a really cool thing. Chris Moser's uh, helping putting that on at the fly-ins, and he's just
0: di- a dynamic instructor. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, he's, he is very good. Uh, so I don't know. Let's see. So we got um, a few thousand people who attend each year. And then there's some portion of those who, who uh, start flying again. We're looking at, what, 40% back yeah, in the air? I think that's what I heard, 40%.
1: That's significant. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to do that. Yeah. And it, like I said, it is a lot of fun. It's real dynamic these days, and it just, you know, your attention will be uh, encapsulated with the review, and it's just it's an easy thing to do. As long as you're there, check it out, Rusty Pilots Seminar, or at your local FBO or yeah.
0: Flying Club. Yeah. The other cool th- uh, factoid about Rusty is, um, you know, I suppose technically you could say anybody who's out of their flight review is rusty. You know what the uh, average year lapsed that people come to those is? This blow my mind when I heard this. Like three years? Seven. That long? Yeah. Huh. People who've been out of flying seven years are coming back into it on, on average. Do you think there was
1: a little bit of trepidation uh, on their part because of the third-class medical and some of the advancements we've
0: seen just this year? I don't know. You know, I think... Um, Sometimes people just need the invitation. Yeah. You know, it's like they sit around and, they, and they've been maybe getting the magazine for years or they, they're still members of AOPA or they look on the website and, and they think, you know, I'm a pilot and I'm going to fly again one day. And then they get a card in the mail that says, hey, come on to a seminar. It's free. Might as well. Yeah.
1: A little camaraderie, hang out. You know yeah. what I
0: tell people? Because I talk to folks all the time
1: about flying and, you know, as we talk about different stories and personalities. And they'll tell me, hey, I used to be a pilot, this, that, and the other. And I'll stop them right there and say, hey, look, once a pilot, always a pilot. Yeah, so true. You just need to get current. Yeah. So it's an easy way to do that. Maintain that currency. Jump into a Rusty Pilot seminar or ask us to come to you with one. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's very true, actually. Right
0: on. Uh, so you're current again and you use those current flying skills, you uh, you went to a, your own flying here just a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, we went to a fly-in at a Triple Tree in South Carolina. It's not far from Greenville, the Triple Tree Aerodrome, Aerodrome and it turned 10. So mm. this is a 10th year for that fly-in, and it was just beautiful. Ian, have you ever landed on a 7,000-foot-long
0: bent grass turf landing strip? No, no, but I know it's – I've heard this place is so nice. <laughs> That well, first of all, I saw a picture and I, I didn't know which way the runway was oriented. It's so wide. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, you think it's it like I, they could let, you know take off Cubs the perpendicular across the you runway. You almost could go sideways. Yeah, um, but I mean, jets land there and turboprops and no yeah. problem.
1: Actually, there were a couple of uh, a couple of planes that were set up for STOL stall airplanes yeah, yeah. and they landed and took off a couple of times yeah. on the runway. <laughs> But uh, it's a beautiful place to go. And it was a gorgeous weekend this year. Mm. I'm sorry, gorgeous weather this weekend this year. It's a little yeah. bit of a tongue twister. Yeah. And uh, the, the bent grass runway is, it's almost like landing on a feather. Mm. It's just so soft and highly maintained. Is would probably be more at home on a golf course, really, yeah, at Rutherford. And I camped out. So, uh, you did? Br- yeah. I was going
0: to ask you, yeah, did you rough it?
1: I did. It was actually not I was going to say, is it roughing it? or it is it? Well, the facilities are awesome. They've okay. got hot and cold showers and uh, beautiful wooden uh, restroom situation. And by the way, I didn't know this. I probably should have done more homework. They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner that you can buy. Oh, wow. Which I stuff my backpack with all kinds of backpacking food and. <laughs> Old dehydrated food that tastes terrible. You had your MREs
0: for the weekend. Right.
1: It was was bad. Um, And if you get there early on Thursday night, there's a cook your own steak event that's Hmm. been hugely popular with a lot of pilots. Cool. But that was a really interesting place. And uh, the airport itself is beautiful. They Mm -hmm. play host to an RC uh, event, Mm -hmm. radio control aircraft event every year that my buddy Rusty Jarrett from Georgia goes to. And he's been bragging about it. Hmm. And uh, just thousands of people go to that. And the airfield's uh, patriarch is Pat Hartness. Mm -hmm. He's got a couple of restored airplanes there. There's a Spartan Executive, Immaculate.
0: Seen it, yeah. There's
1: a P-51 there. Yep. And, I mean, just a really interesting place, cool event, a lot of southern hospitality. In fact, just to to give you a clue about how that is, on the instructions on the website, you know, giving us the the fly-in information, it said, to enjoy the fun, fellowship and hospitality. And and I'm telling you what, everyone mm. was happy, cool, easygoing and helpful, super well, that's helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a great event. Oh, that's that's great fun.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um so one thing I I don't know, so I am curious. This is a thing. I am realizing that every aviation event regardless of focus, location, anything else it always has seminars. They uh-huh. you know, they like to learn. So were there seminars at uh, There were a couple. At Triple Tree? There were a couple at Triple Tree yeah. um
1: Mark Baker, AOPA president, had a pilot town hall. Okay. And people actually did um, ask him a little bit about fees at airports, okay. which is starting to be a little bit of a hot topic with yeah. our members, and asked a little bit more about third class medical. Yeah, to get the details, yeah. Exactly. But um, there were seminars at um, Triple Tree. You could learn a little bit more about engines, mm-hmm. you could learn about recovering wings, that okay. kind of thing, if you have so a fabric. Like grassroots kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so there were, and there's some electrical seminars. But there there weren't a ton of safety seminars that I saw. Yeah, which there are at typically at our AOPA fly ins, which yeah. is a little bit you know a, a little bit uh, more to do at the
0: AOPA fly ins, but packed in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. So one of those is ADSB. That's right. We always cover ADSB at the seminars. Um, you know, 2020. Actually, this is one thing I actually want to say before we even start on this is that. Um, we always say 2020 is the cutoff date for ADSB compliance. It's January first, 2020. Oh, so you can't wait till halfway through the year. Yeah, I mean, really, you got to think it's through it's through 2019 is what you have. New Year's Eve,
1: 2019.
0: Yeah, jump so, on board. Yeah, and so FA is trying to make that. Uh, they're trying to entice folks, sure. to equip um, the rebate program. If you've heard about this, five hundred bucks. The FAA will give you? Starting this week. Yeah, starting this week. And a couple of the uh,
1: avionics firms had even started earlier with that.
0: Yeah, smart marketing. They were doing sort of matching or early rebates, they called it, or whatever. Good enticements to get on board. Yeah, and hopefully you research during that time because one um, requirement of this FAA program is that you have to know which box you're going to buy through the process. So they do give you a little bit of a – the way it works is you got a year. Mm-hmm. Um it's the first I think it's a year what is it 20,000 uh owners and, and they're uh, starting
1: to stack up in the holding pattern now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with their avionics maintenance technicians.
0: Yeah, so I don't know. I mean if everybody, you know, in the next month says I want 500 bucks, um they go in they apply for the rebate on FAA's website. I don't know if the shops are going to be able to fulfill it in time honestly.
1: I think not. And I, I believe we were doing some research that said that already some of the shops are having a Couple of weeks back backlog there.
0: Yeah, and I mean the good shops. We know one locally that uh, has a really good reputation. They're they're talking seven months. That's a long time. It is, and in fact, if you were to try and schedule with them, you wouldn't be eligible for the rebate because you got to do it within a certain number of months. Ouch. Yeah.
1: So jump on board quick is the, is the first thing. But the yeah. second thing is that I know you've been flying a little bit recently, and I have too. It really is cool to know where your traffic is. It is. I don't see. What the downside of that would be yeah. for me as a pilot? Yeah, even at the triple tree fly-in, getting in there and getting in the pattern with you know hundreds of other airplanes, they had like four hundred planes on the ground yeah. when I landed. Um, that's a, a key thing to to situational awareness. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all for it myself.
0: Yeah, I know, and it's you know I think it's one of those things if you're going to get it anyway to to be able to fly in rural air rural airspace, they call it basically where you need a transponder today. Right. Um, if you're going to do that kind of flying, it's like, why not buy it now and get the benefits now Sure, and get your rebate, get on board
1: and then really learn how to use the equipment a little bit too.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which,
1: we do have a pretty neat ADSB finder on our, on our AOPA.org website. Just, you can even just go to the homepage, go to the search bar and type in ADSB and you'll find Mike Collins really cool dropdown that helps
0: pilots decide really what they need. Yeah. Yep. It is a cool tool. And so yeah, it actually goes through, you know, where do you fly and what kind of airplane and, uh, and then gets you down to the actual equipment and it'll list it out and some things that you can, you can check out. So
1: I think that's a good thing. And Hey, let's all jump on board and save that money. And if we take that 500 bucks and put it in our pocket, maybe we could buy some swift fuel. Yeah.
0: That was nice. I like that. (laughs) That That's a good transition. Nice transition Uh, to swift fuel. Actually, it takes us back to triple tree too, where this started. Um. So Swift Fuels, uh, have you did you have you seen these guys elsewhere? You know a little bit about Swift Fuels? a little bit about them. Yeah, I know that Dave Hirschman
1: dumped a load of Swift Fuel in his Vans RV3. Yeah.
0: So it's their uh, their um, formula, I guess I'd call it. It's 94 UL, so unleaded. Unleaded, sure. Um, they don't they don't have the tetraethyl lead, and they're they're a fascinating group because you know they're just a I think they they were grad students or something at Purdue, and they cranked it up just from that program. Yep. And so they are in the PAFI process, the um, Piston, let me see who, here we go. Piston Aviation Fuels Initiative. Oh, I like it. I think. I love it. Good job. (laughs) So that's the, uh, the FAA program that is uh, working its way towards an unleaded fuel for aviation and hopefully drop in for the biggest group possible. Um, And so Swift has this formulation. They're going through the PAFI process. They're, they're doing, FAA is doing a lot of testing right now, but Swift says, well, okay, fine. We're going to go through that process, and if we win, great. Um, but in the meantime, they're trying to sell their fuel independently. Might as well. Yeah. And the price is
1: right too. Yeah, I was shocked at that. So it's like a buck less than than avgas right now.
0: Yeah, that's and apparently good. Yeah, and apparently not artificially low. They were still making money. Yeah, that's so good. That is good.
1: <laughs> but uh, and so it's basically it's it's chemically identical to 100 low lead, but without the tetraethyl lead. So that's good for the environment, yeah. and understand it's uh, it's really not a problem for most most airplane engines that we have in, in our fleet.
0: Yeah, these certainly days. the low-compression ones, yeah.
1: And Dave Hirschman, editor-at-large Dave Hirschman's RV3, has that um, Lycoming 0320 engine, mm-hmm. which is a pretty common engine. Mm-hmm. And he said he was running about 10 degrees cylinder head temperatures, a little bit hotter, 10 degrees hotter, okay. and 50 degrees cooler on the exhaust gas temperatures. Mm. And that kind of made sense. He cruised back at 11,500 feet from yeah. South Carolina to Maryland. And he said it made sense and he didn't notice any other performance issues at all. Um, Fuel flow and aircraft performance were unchanged is what he said. Hmm, So that's good. So So really a
0: drop in for him.
1: Seems like a win for him, a couple extra bucks in his pocket, a little bit better for the environment and really helping these guys at Swift get their fuel out a little bit and get, get get more of it under people's belts, I think.
0: Yeah. And so they're, they're selling it also. This was at uh, triple tree. They drove a a cart down there and, and sold it there, but um, they're selling to some FBOs, mostly around the Midwest.
1: Forty airports, mostly in the Midwest, a few out in California, and some in Wisconsin as well. Okay. And a lot of our members over the weekend um, commented into Dave's um, news article, and they were um, basically, uh, most of them were in support of that. And they were looking to find, the fact, a few people out in California were curious, where could they find Swift Fuels? You know, hmm. California is usually at the forefront of being environmentally sensitive. Yeah, that's so, right. Hopefully they'll roll a little bit more of that out in the near future and have it available for more, more of us.
0: Yeah, that is. it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, uh, especially in terms of the pathy process. And if they do win that, what happens? And if they don't, what happens? And uh, it's cool to see them uh, trying something new. I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah. So more new tech. More uh, new tech. Yeah. Right. This, uh, t- I want to talk a few minutes about a story that you guys had up online. Um, you titled it Skills Gap. And uh, actually going back to ADS-B a little bit, some of the, the issues surrounding weather in the cockpit.
1: That's right. So, you know, we've all, at this point, I think we've all used iPad minis and, or iPad, you know, full-size iPads to look at the weather. And even going back a couple of years, gosh, this is probably not new technology. I'm thinking back in uh, right when I started my license uh, procedures back in 2000. I have one of those little compact Little Miniature compact oh, computers yeah. that had moving map uh, yeah. and weather and stuff <laughs> on it, but um, what we I think a lot of us are um, don't want to do is use that that weather technology in, in the wrong way yeah because that's it's very tempting yeah. to try to skirt these storms and think that we have up to date weather information when Re- the reality is otherwise.
0: Yeah. So onboard weather radar, uh, an airplane that's actually equipped with a weather radar, uh-huh. you get that real-time picture of what's going on. You do. You can use that tactically. You can weave through stuff if you know how to use it um, more or less safely. But um, what we get, uh, this data link stuff, this, this onboard you know, shot from the ground or from satellite, uh, is, is a, a picture, a mosaic of radar that uh, the ground stations take. takes some time to put it together. It does, yeah, as much as 20 minutes, I guess. That's pretty significant. It is. I mean, yeah, you've seen storms build and, and really come down hard in that 20 minutes. doesn't take long. Yeah. It really, it
1: could it could be up in a flash. Yeah. And if you're not aware or you're counting against it, that's where the skills gap comes in,
0: I yeah. think. Yeah, so they're, they're, um, a group is studying this and looking at... What does the latency mean for safety? What does it mean for pilots? How do, they, uh, how do they act based on that latency? And then, really, what can they do to improve the situation? And then, further, uh, what other sort of products are pilots needing and wanting, and, and where are our gaps in, in weather knowledge?
1: So, we're calling that the timeliness of data dilemma, <laughs> which, which is known as the data latency. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, that, that mosaic builds in about, it takes several minutes to build that from all the different stations, as you said, Ian. Yeah. And in fact, you were telling me you were flying recently with your family yeah. and something like this happened. Yeah. And uh, so how did y'all deal with that?
0: Yeah, so we were flying uh, actually here in the in our area. We were coming just up the east side of Dulles. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, of course, I was trying to act like the the confident and in control pilot that I am. Of course. And uh, trying to impress my wife. And so I was telling her about the whole trip about cloud types, because we were in and out of stuff, kind of, uh-huh. and uh, and about reading clouds and, um, you know, probably spouting a bunch of stuff. I had no idea what I was talking about. But, and, but uh, you know, she trusts me. And so we sure. were <laughs> we were coming up. That past, was our first mistake. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> we were coming up past Dulles. And... Um, and this cloud, and I'm thinking like, hmm, gee, that doesn't look right. And I look down at the at the mosaic ADSB yeah. is what we had. I, I was actually shooting it from the uh, flight stream in the Garmin down to the iPad, which okay. is super cool. That's nice. And um, she points out, she's like, "What about that one?" And uh, and I, of course, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, I, it's looking a little dark and. But I look down at the radar, and there's nothing. Nothing on the screen. No, it's totally clear. Okay. And I think, okay, yeah, we're fine. I was like, well, you know, sometimes they can, you know, the sun's setting, the reflections off the cloud and everything. A little difficult. Yes. So so we get into the cloud, and it's like light to moderate rain right Uh away. So I know that there's something up with the picture. Yeah, you would think it would already have shown up on the picture. Yeah, and so while we're in the middle of this cloud, and this is only about three minutes here, then we're in the middle of the cloud, and it goes from nothing on radar to red. Immediately. Immediately. Wow. Nothing in between. No light, no moderate, nothing. And so the, the sort of heavier and extreme stuff was east of us. Um, you could see that from the cloud before we went in, the darker side. We were in the kind of the lighter side. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I was, I was shocked. I mean, I've seen it go from nothing on radar to maybe light green where you have light rain or yeah. um, kind of vice versa. You see a lot of times where it'll show light rain and those nothing because it's rained itself out. I've never seen it go from nothing to extreme like that. That quick like that. Yeah.
1: And that's part of the deal, that latency issue and the fact that some of these storms can build so quickly. Yeah. And I really catch a lot of people unawares. Yeah. And we don't want to read about you or anyone else, you know, in that kind of situation. So that's where we've got that that data skills trap.
0: Yeah. And it really, actually, one thing it really um, sort of focused for me is that You couldn't. You really can rely on the picture too much, and a lot of times, especially in those days, where, in this particular day, there was a front and it was sort of scattered stuff, and um, you had the there was nothing embedded, and so you had the chance to really pick out stuff and see what was what. It's amazing the the amount of decision making you do just from observation Mm -hmm. versus what you see on the picture, Um, and it's really nice to have the combination. Yeah. And, you know, having one without the other is not so great, but having the two together is a really, really strong package. Really nice.
1: And in in your case, you actually uh, utilized your your cockpit resources a little bit better, too, because your wife was helping you out. Yeah, right hey, Ian, what's going on? Yeah. This doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah, And so that's a good cockpit resource
0: management, I would say, as well. Yeah, right, except then when we get in the cloud, she's like, so why is it raining? And I said, like, well,
1: you know. I, it's I, I, a smoother ride That's it's right. raining, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> okay. I was like, it just cleans the bugs off. Of course. Yeah.
0: All right, so, um, so from New Tech, our guest this week, we're going way back uh, to maybe something that needs a, new, a little New Tech all dated. i love this story david this is the the thousand dollar cherokee
1: this is very cool and yes we're going to have on via skype before not too mm-hmm. long we're gonna have yep. joseph atkins and cody busey Yep. joseph is the one thousand dollar cherokee owner yep. from north carolina yep and do you remember a little bit about how he spotted this aircraft on the ramp
0: yeah i love this so the um the way this goes is you know, he was uh, volunteering at the airport and saw one of these sort of ramp rats that just was derelict and had been sitting day after day after day when he would come out to the airport. Yeah. And so one day he says, God, I wonder who owns this thing. Looks it up on the registry, writes the guy a letter. Yeah. And they get to talking. And um, sure enough, he offers them what re- you would think is a really lowball number. And, uh, and he's got himself an airplane.
1: And I heard at Triple Tree, cause I sat down across from... A warbird's pilot, Alex Millow, mm-hmm. who is flying the C forty six Commando. Oh yeah, and, that uh, that Joseph and, was working on. Right, and yeah. knows knows Joseph, and it said that originally that plane could have could have been could have been had for five hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> but the owner put in. A little bit. Uh, he had updated the electronics and okay. the avionics uh, not too long before that, like okay. four thousand bucks worth. Oh wow! So I think I think uh, Mr. Atkins felt like it would have just been unfair to offer, you know, too, too low. Too low, yeah. So he offered a thousand dollars. But the best part of the deal to me seems like his friend and mechanic Cody said, "Look, if you get this plane, and it's a challenge, yeah. you got to win the challenge. The seller has to sell it to you for a thousand bucks." If all that happens, I'll help you fix it up, but you got to let me, Cody the mechanic, mm-hmm. take my sport license and turn that into a private pilot certificate. You know, get the training in, a, in, the, in the Cherokee yeah. and upgrade that certificate.
0: Yeah. So I, I love everything about this. The fact that, um, you know, there was this community at the airport, the fact that uh, Joseph rescued this airplane, they were helping each other, and... Um, so Jill Tallman, uh, an editor for us, found this story and um, and she talked to uh, to Joseph
1: via Skype. Yep. And I think you're going to find everyone's going to find it a really interesting uh, interview and yeah. the article in AOPA Pilot Magazine is mm-hmm. fantastic. Also. Yeah. I just wish it was me that spotted that plane. Yeah, that's way. right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thanks again for joining us today, Joseph. I really appreciate it. No problem. Tell the folks out in Radioland a little bit about you and your piloting background.
3: Well, um, I got my license uh, in September of 2014. Uh, it took me about 10 months uh, to get my private. And I got interested in flying from volunteering with uh, Warriors and Warbirds in Monroe, North Carolina, on their C-46 Tinkerbell. Um, I got interested in just the the whole aviation world, I guess you'd say. Um, I got to fly on Tinkerbell to the Reading Air Show, which uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania, sure. which was fantastic. If anybody's ever never been there, I highly recommend heading out to the World War II weekend uh, when they when it's uh, when it's back in town.
2: Yeah, that's a great air show. From it's what a I understand,
3: fantastic air show. So that got me really interested in it and I decided to uh pursue it um, I, everybody thought I was crazy um, and uh ten months later uh, I stuck with it and ten months later I was able to uh pass my check ride so
2: fantastic now had you thought about buying an airplane at that time
3: no not at all I mean you know everybody everybody has those uh you know uh, grand visions when they're especially if they're they're getting new in a new hobby and they're like oh i'm gonna I'm going to get this airplane and, and, you, and then, you know, you, you think about oh, how I'm going to get a retract or I'm going to get a turbo prop or, or, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. And then you look at the prices and everything, but, um,
2: reality no, comes really, crashing in.
3: You're Right. Reality comes crashing in. I, I know that, you know, it, it really depends on who you talk to. You hear just like in everything in aviation, you hear about five different ways to solve a problem. And, you know, uh, p- some people would say, that it's cheaper to buy an airplane and train in your own airplane. Some people uh, say that renting is 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 cheaper overall. And then some people say, well, you know, if you're going to fly, um, you know, X amount per year, then it's cheaper to rent. It's cheaper to, cheaper to buy. It's really all over the place. It really depends on who you talk to. That's uh, true. So honestly, I had not really thought seriously about buying an airplane. I mean, it was always a, a pie in the sky vision that maybe. Maybe if I got my license and i and I really enjoyed the hobby and I found myself um uh flying a lot that I would entertain the option, but I really thought it would be at least ten years down the road before I even considered it seriously
2: sure so you just thought you'd be renting or maybe you i maybe you belong to a flying club Fill me yeah, out on i that. had
3: yeah I had thought about joining a flying club i had i i had pretty much figured out that renting while renting is great um that I had wanted a uh Uh, I was already running into the problem that a lot of people have when they rent, where um, you go to it's a beautiful weekend. You go to use the plane and they're all gone and you're having to book three and four weeks out, especially during the summer. And then uh, if you get rained out, then you're then you're really screwed. Yep. Been there. Uh, Been there. Done that. Yep. (laughs) And then the uh, the other option is uh, when you take it out of town, it's like, well, like, for example, let's go to Triple Tree. So, okay, uh, we had a little bit of a scheduling snafu at Triple Tree. And I ended up uh, having to do a little plane shuffling and uh, see that wouldn't have happened. If I have rented it, uh, I would have been just I, I just couldn't have couldn't have gone or, or it just wouldn't have worked out.
2: Sure. So. So there you are. You're a new private pilot. Um, mm-hmm. And so tell me about the first time you laid eyes on this Cherokee.
3: I had seen it over there. It, it sat over there in the corner. Uh, it was actually behind Tinkerbell. Uh, and so I had seen it for a few years. I mean, we'd seen it over there. And we'd move it for the air show in November. You know, we'd pump the tires up and move it, the, the field would. And then, um, you know, we'd go over there every now and then and take the bird nests out of the cowling and, you know, joke. It had a cover on it at the time. It uh, had a blue cover on it. And uh, we would always joke about, um, say, wow, this thing is just it's just pretty pretty pitiful sitting over here. And, uh, you know, we we never really took the cover off because, you know, we don't want to really touch anybody else's stuff. Sure. You know, we'd always wondered, uh, you know, what condition it was in, just just general general curiosity about the about the aircraft. So, uh, 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 you know, like I said, so the first time I laid eyes on it, you know, it was actually a couple of years ago. I mean, I'd, I'd just been I'd just been uh, watching it the whole time.
2: And you called it, you told me you called it the dog of the airport.
3: It was definitely the dog of the airport. Uh, uh, you know. When the line guys, like I said, line guys that have to move it for the air show. That's the only time it moved. Mm-hmm. And they would have to pump the tires up, drag it to, the, uh, to wherever they parked them during the air show. And then when the air show was over, they would pump the tires back up. And then it would hold just long enough to get it back into place. And then there it would sit, mm-hmm. uh, tied down. So it was definitely the dog of the airport. Um, you know, I know a lot of people had – I'm not – not quite sure who coined that term but i know it had been said a few times to me especially um you know as i would uh, especially as i started to ask people about it uh people were like uh, oh my god don't are you crazy that thing is <laughs> is probably just a rat's nest and and all eat up and everything like that so uh,
2: but you still you know you you kept an eye on it
3: yeah i always kept an eye on it you know we always watched it uh made sure that you know like um you know no one was really messing with it uh cleaning it off, you know, making sure that the, uh, the, the, you know, it was getting moved properly and, and, and that it wasn't totally, you know, a wreck. Um, just, just keeping an eye on it. Mm -hmm. You never know.
2: And, and one day you kind of thought, had a thought, maybe you would like to make the owner an
3: offer. Well, yeah, what I had decided, I said, you know, okay, so this is going to go two ways. I had just got my private, uh, I had it for a few months and, to be honest, I, I didn't really have any delusions that the plane was actually going to be flyable. I figured at best what I would do is I would get it, maybe tinker with it myself and maybe learn about aircraft and then, you know, possibly part it out or possibly uh, purchase it and then donate it to Warriors and Warbirds. Mm-hmm. And, and they would be, um, you know, able to part it out uh, for you know parts and then, and then raise money that way. Um, I really didn't anticipate it being in a flyable condition. So, um, I, um, called the guy up. I looked his name up in the, in its public domain, uh, looked his name up in the uh, registry, uh, called him and was very, uh, uh very reserved in that first phone call. Cause you know, a lot of these guys, uh, these airplanes, I get it. I mean, they're, they're just like a boat or anything. They're, they're very, <laughs> they're very special to some people. Sure. Um, you have to be really careful uh, sometimes when you approach people about their aircraft. So. Um, um, I called him up and, and we, we chatted for about, about two hours and uh, talked about the, the airplane. And actually, believe it or not, the uh, the actual Cherokee was only about 15 minutes of that discussion. He actually, uh, for most of that phone call, uh, wanted to know about uh, Tinkerbell and uh, Warriors and Warworth and stuff. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I was like, uh, your plane has been sitting next to Tinkerbell for five years. Um, and he's never he'd never been down there to see. Oh, it. wow. And I'm like, you know, it it just it just blew me away that he had all these questions. And I'm like, your plane literally sit literally sits next to uh, Tinkerbell for and, the last five years. And we should uh, tell
2: the listeners what what airport Tinkerbell is at.
3: She is at the Monroe Executive Airport in Monroe, North Carolina, and that is uh, uh, K E Q Y.
2: Thank you. But go on.
3: So uh, we we talked about um, talked about uh, the organization and and of course Tinkerbell the C46. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of mentioned it to him. I said, you know, I, I was just really calling you. I said, you know, I want to find out about your your aircraft. And, you know, I just basically said, what what are your plans for it? And I noticed it's not moved in a few years. And, and I just kind of was curious about it. And uh, honestly, I had I thought that. uh he was maybe a son of the owner and maybe the owner had passed. Sure. Because uh, that happens yeah, very often.
2: That's a very, very reasonable often. assumption.
3: And be- the reason being is, is because his his name in the uh, the FAA database was, I guess, his 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 actual full name. And the name in the phone book, he went by his middle name. Sure. So I assumed that that was like a, a child. So uh, he said, no, that's, that's actually his. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, what are your plans for it? And he said, well, You know, he had, he went into details that uh, during the uh, economic downturn, he he flew it, he bought it in 95 and he flew it for several years. And then around the economic downturn in 2005, 2006, he stopped flying it. And then unfortunately he was diagnosed with cancer and he was, he was able to go through chemotherapy and he was cancer free, but that he lost his medical because the chemo had um, caused him to have a, uh, his hands would shake. So he was unable to renew his medical, and so it had sat there, um, and he had paid the tie-downs every month, and um, he hadn't been down there in several years, obviously, um, because Tinkerbell's been there for five years, and he had never seen the plane. Um, it's kind of hard to miss. Uh, he's not been there in several years, and um, and and he, he he ended the phone call with, I need to do something with it. it uh, it's time to do something with okay. it. And he said, to be perfectly honest, you're the first person that's ever called me about it. I'll,
2: I'll bet you were. And but you didn't broach it that time. Actually, the possibility of buying it from him.
3: Well, I, I I brought it up very you know very casually. I was like, well, if you're interested in selling it, you know, I, I would I would I would be uh, interested in making an offer. If you know if you if you're you're open to that, you have to kind of approach that very carefully. And um, he said, no, I I need to do something with it. Um, and, and he said what did you have in mind and i i figured at this point he was going to hang up on me and uh, i told him i said well i well because i knew what i knew what i could offer and i knew what i thought it was worth and i told him i said you know I, i'll be perfectly honest with you um i said i would offer i said i i really don't think i, I don't know what condition the, the plane is in i said i you know i would i would, I would be okay if i offer you like Five hundred bucks for it, and uh, he surprisingly he did not hang up the phone. I <laughs> thought I was, I thought he, I thought I was gonna get the slam, the hang up the phone slam, and uh, he said, "Well, he said, uh, you know that uh, he said that. Let me think about it, and um, I'll give you a call back." And I said, "Okay." So um, I thought I would never hear from him again.
2: <laughs> now I think at this point. In our conversation, we need to bring in another important person in this story, and his name is Cody. So, why don't you talk about Cody a little bit and talk about the deal that you guys made?
3: So, my friend Cody, he's one of the mechanics out there on field, and he also works for Warriors and Warbirds. He assists with the maintenance. Uh, he also is uh, assisting with our 123K uh, provider that we have, and all that other fun stuff. But he made a deal with me. He is a sport pilot and he's around the same age as I am. And, and you know, we we get along very well. And he's a sports pilot. And I known for some time he wanted to get his private. And I told him, I said, well, if you if you teach me about this airplane and even if it doesn't run or even if it's not any good, if, if you teach me about it, um, then, you know, uh, if we get it running, then I'll I'll um, I'll let you uh, I'll use it. You know, I'll, I'll go in pretty much halvesies with you and let you use it. I'll put you on the insurance do whatever you want. You can fly it and get your own set of keys or whatever. And uh, you can fly it and you can get your private. Um, and then you just need to show me how, you know, I, I want to learn from you. I want to work with the, with you guys. I want to do everything. I want to, I want to be able to oversee whatever, you know, you do, because I want to see what, what it is. And I want to learn from the uh, senior A&P on the field. Uh, the guy that's really overseeing all this, mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, "Well, he said, you know, I'll, I'll make you a deal." He says, "If you can get it for a thousand bucks, I'll 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 do that." Man, and I said, "Okay."
2: Do you, Do you think Cody knew what he was getting himself into?
3: I don't think he did. No, I think in hindsight, you know, he he laughs and jokes about it. Um, it's been a lot of work. <laughs> I think he, I I, I hope to God he, enjoyed, <laughs> he has enjoyed it. Uh, I know being able to go to places like Triple Tree and being able to See him train in it, you know, get his training in it. Uh, I know, he seems to enjoy it. (laughs) I hope it makes it all worth it. Uh,
2: So, but let's get back. So, you you made the offer to the the previous owner, and you were waiting to hear back from him. And and then what happened?
3: Well, the very next day, he called me back, and he said, uh, you know, I thought about it. Let's um, let's meet for uh, let's meet for um, dinner. And uh, he said, I'll bring the logbooks. And I said, okay. And I talked to another friend of mine who who owns a plane and I was saying, hey, what do you think this means? And he said, well, that guy, he said, uh, you know, for the guy to bring the log books, he's pretty serious about it. Sure. I said, you know, he's not going to go get his log books and bring them, bring them somewhere just to tell you no. Right. So we met that. Uh, I think we met a, a couple of days later for uh, dinner and uh, we had an early dinner and uh, we talked again for another two hours. And really, it was all about. It was all about everything else but the plane. You know, it was all about aviation. And it was all about what my goals were. Sure. And to be perfectly honest, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I really think he was feeling me out to make sure that I wasn't just going to take it and uh, either scrap it or flip it or that I was going to take care of it. I really do think that he was trying to um, feel me out to see if I would be, uh, you know, a good, I guess, steward of his airplane. He really did care about the airplane. So, you know, I that's how it went.
2: And so you, you shook hands.
3: We shook hands, um, you know, you know, and, uh, and there, there it was. And I remember <laughs> I called, um, as soon as I left the airport, I think it was, uh, it, was it was early April. And, uh, I think it's, st- it still gets dark relatively early around mm-hmm. seven o'clock in, in April, but I went straight to the airport and I called Cody and I said, don't go home uh, <laughs> because, uh, I've got a surprise for you. So, um, uh, we, we, we immediately went down there. We had the cover had actually came off about two weeks before it had finally fallen off. So the airport had taken the cover off, and uh, so I went down there and opened it up, and uh, we played with that thing for. <laughs> I I think we might. I don't think we left the airport at like ten thirty. We oh, you know, yeah. my! Playing playing with that thing just to see if everything works. Uh, I think the, some of the pictures are on my blog of uh, the time we. We got the thing, we, we got a, found an old battery that was sitting around somewhere, and we plugged it in, and, and we were able to turn some of the lights on and stuff just to see what still worked. That was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. Um, for our listeners, uh, Joseph has blogged about this project since the very beginning. Um, tell right. us the name of the blog and where they can find it.
3: The, the blog is um, www.thisoldcherokee.com.
2: And it's it's uh, it's very entertaining.
3: It's yeah, it's uh. The, if you're if you're coming into it, uh, I would suggest starting uh, at the oldest post and reading backwards because the posts go from newest to oldest. So you might want to start at the oldest and yep. read back uh, and then you'll be able to get the, the full history.
2: And as you dove into this process, one thing you did that uh, I know that people appreciate is that you kept just meticulous track of how much you were spending.
3: Correct. And the reason I did that is. Um, is because to be perfectly honest, there is a little bit of a, a cone of silence. It seems over aviation sometimes. Um, I didn't do it to uh, to show off. Look what I did. I, I I did it really because I want other people out there to understand that I understand that I've got a I got a deal on the actual you know airplane itself and stuff like that, but but this stuff is not very, very expensive for the middle class. I mean, it's, it, you don't have to make $400,000 a year or more and afford a very expensive airplane. Uh, and I did this to kind of take some of that secrecy away mm-hmm. from aviation. So people could understand that this, this is attainable. Uh, you can do it. Um, I tried to be as transparent as possible. When I first started the blog, I said I wanted to be as transparent as possible, good or bad, and so that everybody could kind of follow along. But it, it's it's impossible to to chronicle something like that and then try to be all cloak and dagger with sure. the uh, the costs and stuff because then then it just gets you know gets sideways.
2: So um, talk about some of the more expensive things that you had to to fix or replace.
3: Well, uh, we had to do all the stuff that times out n- normally, which are the hoses, which if the Person who designed that airplane's fuel lines are listening. Uh, I want to know why in the world you put these small fuel lines in the wings because they were awful to change. (laughs) Um, I would love to talk to that guy. But we did all the the stuff. uh, We actually, uh, I pre-bought those uh, fuel lines. Um, The most expensive uh, thing uh, to replace, though, however, was we had a cracked rear right stack on the uh, exhaust and we had a bad muffler that had some rust pinholes in it Mm -hmm. that were, that was rusted. Now, fortunately, I am a member of the Cherokee chat for Cherokee owners, Mm -hmm. which is a great, a great website. I think you're on it as well. I am. I'm a lurker. Yeah. It's a (laughs) great website to just lurk on or post on those guys. I tell you, you could not write a book uh, with all the information those guys Mm have. And, um, Sure enough, I had posted on about uh, about needing a, 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 a exhaust system. and, and um, a fella uh, posted that he had a school that was all PA 140s that he had just closed down about two years ago. He'd retired. Mm-hmm. and he was a powerflow dealer. and so he had several um, original uh, uh, still serviceable uh, exhaust systems uh, that, that were still, you know perfectly fine. And that for the cost of shipping, he would ship it to me, including a brand new muffler still in the box. Mm. So uh, he shipped me that. And uh, unfortunately, the stacks, his stacks were, um, were were cracked as well. However, the muffler was not. So I had to purchase uh, a stack, which uh, happens to be made here uh, very close in Fort Mill, South Carolina, believe it or not. And, uh, I was able to actually drive and pick up an airplane part, which that was amazing. (laughs) And, um, I picked that up and that was probably the most expensive. I think that was around 350 bucks. That was pretty, that was a pretty expensive part. Yeah.
2: But the moral uh, the moral of this story for the story for the listeners is that, um, you know, type clubs and type groups are just invaluable sources of oh my God. N- not only it's, information, but possible stuff laying around their hangar or their office that they might be willing to part with very inexpensively.
3: Well, you know, and that's happened with several things. Uh, you know, my GPS system is the same way. You know, that was somebody was sold their airplane, was getting out of it and uh, just wanted to sell their uh, sell their gps and so i picked that up i mean it's just it's unreal the amount of stuff on there and it's and you know those guys are all great guys and if they don't have it or they don't know where to get it they'll they'll find somebody that does know Mm -hmm. where to get
2: so um you started working on the airplane in april and when Mm -hmm. did you take when did you finish up bring it back to airworthiness and get ready to take that First flight.
3: Well, we we had uh, I call it the world's longest annual. We <laughs> had our annual technically started in April, I guess you'd say, and we worked on it uh, until I think it was right at the end of November uh, is when we got our sign off, and then we decided to fly it on my birthday, which was December 6th. and it just so happens to fall on the same day, same weekend as my birthday. So we we flew it, and that and that's. That's what we did.
2: <laughs> and that first time it flew, you were not in the airplane at all. You got um, somebody that you really trust to, to come out and fly it for you.
3: Correct. I, I Another friend of mine, his name is Robert Jana, Janicek, and he flies um, our Focke-Wulf 149 in air shows. Uh, he flew a Cherokee, similar, he flew a Warrior uh, commercially and he owned one for several years and he flew it commercially as sightseeing tours and stuff like that. And he has had, you know, hundreds of hours or I don't know, hundreds of hours in, that, in those things. And, you know, he volunteered to do it. Uh, the reason being is, you know, I'm still a low time pilot. I'm not I'm not I'm not here to. It, times like this, when you're dealing with something like that, then your ego is is, is will get you killed. So right, um, sometimes he, he, it's
2: best to just let the pros handle it. Right,
3: right. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta let the pros handle it. So at the same time, you know, I, it's like I tell people, I did not, I well, did not, do not possess the skills or the knowledge to handle an emergency of a, of the type that could go on with a plane that hasn't flown in ten years. Uh, flying for the first time so he volunteered to to take it up for us and uh, he flew it uh, I think we flew it around 35 minutes we we stayed in the pattern Uh, I think he made it up to around 2500 feet Uh, but we we circled in the pattern for about 30 minutes or so
2: and then and everything was fine Mm
3: -hmm. and so
2: you flew it did you fly it that weekend or did you fly it the next weekend?
3: I flew it the next weekend. Um, I could not fly it that weekend because right after that, the the weather got a little weird. So, um, I flew it the next weekend, uh, with an instructor with me. Uh, we, we flew it just same thing around the airport. We just flew, um, touch and goes, or actually touch and full stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did that, uh, for, you know, you know, a couple, I think we did like four landings. Sure.
2: What was that like? I mean, this is something, this is an airplane that you kind of lived and breathed for months and finally, you know, finally putting that throttle in and rolling down the runway. What was that like?
3: Well, I don't have, I don't have any children, so I don't know how (laughs) to compare it to that, but I mean, it's, it's like your child, I guess you would say, uh, you know, you get really attached to anything, I guess you work on that long and you, and I know it sounds stupid, but you, you really do get attached to them. So Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. It was it was a feeling of accomplishment. It was a feeling I was, you know, I, I felt I felt proud. I felt accomplished. I felt scared. I felt nervous and anxious all rolled into one. I mean, it was it was like my check ride all over again. <laughs> I mean, it was just it was just, you know, you you're so excited and then you just you're so nervous and you don't know what to do Um I know that when I landed, you know, it was it was a, a feeling of, of relief and a feeling of uh, accomplishment. You know, it was just I can't believe that, you know, we made it this this far in really only about, you know, eight, eight nine months. Um, so, I mean, it was and then, of course, after I flew it, uh, Cody was the next and he flew it as well. So that was a lot of fun.
2: And, too. and you two have been flying the heck out of it ever since.
3: We have. We have, you know, counting the Triple Tree trip. Um, we have almost. 40 46 hours maybe 40, man you know 44 46 hours since we've, we've been flying i know that doesn't sound like a lot uh, we got kind of held up during the summer because it was just blazingly hot here mm-hmm. i mean it was just miserable so we didn't fly it when it was 105 so um uh, it's just now getting to getting cooler and we're starting going trips and stuff like that life gets in the way sometimes yeah you know? But, yeah, we, we've got about 40, 45 hours on it, and uh, we we really have enjoyed it. You know, I took my first long trip uh, last weekend. I took it to the coast, which was the most it has flown in one sitting, which was three, I think, 3.2 hours, mm-hmm. which is uh, – that's a pretty good in one go. And then the weekend before that, Cody had actually completed his Long cross Country solo, and he flew it uh, – right at 2.9 hours okay so uh, we really are really racking it up we probably put 15 hours on it in the past uh, month great which is more than it's ever had
2: so uh so it's got its original paint it it's yeah, got,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it if anybody has seen the article it is a it it's is got a,
3: half of its original
2: paint. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is an elderly looking airplane you know it does have this original paint it has its original interior um you have an adf if
3: i recall correctly I have an ADF, you know, the classic car guys, because I had a classic car, I had a 64 Buick Electra, call that a survivor. That's a survivor paint <laughs> job. But uh, yeah, I have I have an ADF, um, uh, which it, I don't think that works anymore. Uh, we tried to, I think we tried to tune in the radio on it and couldn't even get it. So yeah. I'll probably take that off. But yes, it does have an ADF in it. It's the original equipment.
2: Yeah. And the original radios and everything.
3: Yeah, it has the original one original radio. The other the other radio is the other $500 of the plane. Uh. Uh, Technically, technically, I purchased the plane for $500 and then paid the guy $500 for the radios. Uh. He had put right before he had uh, shut the plane down, he had put in a KLX 135 about five years before. So it has a KLX 135. Um and that still works the GPS portion of it does not I think we need an antenna but I'm not really worried about that but the <laughs> but the radio is great on it so it has a, it has a KLX in it but it does have a um it does have a uh, KX uh, another KX radio with a nav on it so
2: Remind me you put a total of was it 3000 including the purchase price of the airplane
3: Right a little over 3000 A little so over 3000 Yeah mm-hmm.
2: and you are not in a hurry to paint or you know do anything with the interior or jazz up the panel
3: no not yet i mean what we're trying to do is now we're trying to cautiously um you know we want to make sure that everything is mechanically sound first i mean you know it's like these guys out here tell me all the time you know your logbook does not care what the plane looks like um and you know it, it, all joking aside you know i i really don't mind when people uh, see the plane. They're like, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I get it. I Trust me, I know it, the paint's rough on it. But at the same time, I would I would hate to spend, you know, uh, a lot of money on paint and then uh, come to find out that that it needs a tear down or something. I don't sure. know. And so, you know, then it was I would feel horrible. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're just kind of cautiously moving into into that area right now. We really, the goal is to fly it for one year and then see what annual number two brings. And then, then start talking about paint and possibly panel upgrades. I mean, at the end of the day, this is, this is Cherokee 140. Okay. I'm not going to be flying this thing in hard IFR. (laughs) I'm not going to be flying this thing, you know, to California. So why not? Well, you know, because I don't have three weeks to take off of
2: work. But, <laughs> three weeks. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I talked to at least two people who had at Oshkosh who had come east and north in uh, in Cherokees. So, you know, don't completely rule it out.
3: <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, I, I I'm trying not to uh, to put a lot of money into it, but I, you know, I we are taking care of it, and I do want to keep it. And I do want to fix it up yeah. eventually. Yeah.
2: Um, so you touched on this a little earlier. Uh, you'd like people out there to know that that ownership can can be affordable. So talk about that a little bit more.
3: Well, you know, it comes from the fact that, uh, you know, I really enjoy this hobby. You know, I, I'm in it for a hobby. This is not my career. Uh, and, and I see, especially when I go to these fly ins and especially when I go to these meetings you know, the, the fast seminars and stuff like that. You know, I'm, I'm only 38 years old and there I am most of the time by far either the youngest person there or almost in the in the the, the kids table group. So, you know, I know that if we don't get the, uh, the GA participation uh, up, that we're going to have a real problem in about t- 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be quick. So um, I just wanted to get. The word out out there that you know, I, I tell people all the time. You know, I'll talk about flying a plane or flying my plane, and they're all like, "Oh, oh my God, you must be, you know, Daddy Warbucks over there." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> no, no. You really, it's no. It, you know, you really, it's not. It's not that bad." It, it, and I wanted to get the word out that you know, the middle class can definitely afford a a small airplane. Now, now, don't go crazy. You know, I see these guys all the time, uh, and I know you have too, where, you know, they go through training or whatever, and they run out and they buy a six-person airplane that costs $100,000, and they think that they're going to pile in the whole family and take off in this thing every weekend, and it never happens. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all these people that want to go flying with you when you're training, when you get your license, now they don't want to go flying with you. Yeah, they
2: mysteriously vanish.
3: Right, so that's that's why you know I, this is hey this is a this is a 140. I mean I got two people max in this thing. It's got four seats, but I would like to see those four people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got it's got two people in it, and you know there you go. Yeah. So um, it's it's great to just uh, you know peter around the state in. But I wanted to get the word out to show people that it is possible that that it doesn't have to cost a fortune. I mean you know it does cost some money. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have to cost a fortune. And I understand that the deal I got is, is, is a fluke and it'll probably never happen again. But even my plane, if you just bought it, like it sat, you know, is, is, is still only, you know, 20 grand. So, uh, you if know, that, that's, if that, I yeah. mean, you know, come on, I mean, 15, 20 grand is, and, and that would get you in a plane just, just like mine. And you could enjoy triple tree and fly ends and all this stuff and, you know, not have a care in the world and just go fly whenever you want. And, and that's, you know, that's less than a, than a Civic. So, you know, people all the time have three and four cars.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what's next for you and, and Cody and the thousand dollar Cherokee?
3: Well, what's next is you know we're just gonna we're gonna keep flying it. I hope we're going to go to uh, some more uh, events. I'm trying to go to more of those. Uh, like, here in uh, North Carolina, we have the South Carolina Breakfast Club, which we're close enough to go to a lot of those events, and they meet every two weeks. It's the oldest flying i guess club or flying event in in the nation
2: yes uh, i've heard of it
3: yeah and so we, we're trying to go to more of those uh, as the weather cools off it's going to be a heck of a lot more bearable hmm. to go to those then we're going to come up on our annual uh, we're going to do another owner assisted annual of course with the uh, senior amp out on the field <laughs> who's, who's who's very nice and we're probably going to, I, I really, I mean, we're just going to touch on the stuff that we need to fix. We haven't really found anything that's major squawks yet. So okay. uh, just going to kind of work through it. And then we're going to make a decision on uh, what we're going to do about paint. Because oh. that's probably the next thing we're going to do.
2: Well, that sounds great. Joseph Atkins, thanks so much for talking to us today about the $1,000 Cherokee, which you can read about in the September issue of AOPA Pilot Magazine. All right. Thank you, Jim. All right. You take it easy.
0: David, that, that's a great story. I'm, I'm so jealous. I, I, it makes me want to go out and start looking around the ramp for old airplanes. I've already started looking, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's it for Hangar Talk this week. Our editor is Austin Hanson. I'm Ian Twombly. And
1: I'm David Tulis. Find us on AOPA.org slash Hangar Talk and email
0: us at HangarTalk at AOPA.org. Yeah, and now iTunes.
1: Oh, yeah. Tell us about <laughs> iTunes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we're on iTunes we're on. now. You can uh, go on iTunes, search... Hangar Talk, and you'll find all the episodes. Search Hangar Talk on iTunes. I got to do it. I'm going to
1: do that today. All right. I'm going to email it to my relatives. Okay.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll see you next time.